everybody, welcome in. It's another episode of the Wobcast 2.0. It is yours truly from the chilly, comfy confines of the cornfields. But my partner and co-host, not in the chilly cornfields. You can see behind him, he doesn't have his cozy fireplace in his office in the background. <laughs> it looks like he might have... I, I can't quite... Is that something tropical behind you, Giles? What is going oh, on? You bet your bottom dollar. We're down here in Mexico, just living uh, living the large life in Cabo. Uh, right. KLC Financial, uh, when we have a good year, we take the entire company and we go somewhere around the world and let our hair down for a week. So this uh, this week we're in Cabo, so doing all the fun things and uh, rubbing shoulders with all our coworkers and uh, doing all the fun things there is to do in this tropical weather. There's, uh, you know, We're about two days deep into this already, and we have uh, a lot of fun things planned for the next few days. Right. But uh, definitely wanted to sign in here and talk some Vikings football. Yeah, that's that's dedication to the show, Giles, and I and we appreciate it. So thank you for carving out some time here to record an episode. I thought, um, you know, I thought it'd be fun to to chat NFL playoffs, so we can get that done. I think toward the end of this episode, but let's keep our focus on the Vikings here um, as we uh, record and and bring another episode of the Wobcast 2.0 to all the great Vikings fans out there. Let's talk Vikings opponents in 2024. We'll kick off the show by doing that. As we cast our gaze for the Vikings into the future and not wallow in the fact that we're not playing in these exciting playoff games. And then talking about something exciting, let's assess Jordan Addison's rookie season for the Minnesota Vikings and take a look at what we project him to be in the future as the Vikings uh, continue to build what uh, is an exciting high octane offense. Uh, designed and called by Kevin O'Connell. So those will be the three things that we attack here today. Uh, excited to have Giles along uh, for the ride as usual. Giles, let's start with our opponents in 2024. All right. Let's now, the way the scheduling formula works um, with the 17th game is the conferences alternate who gets that extra home game. Because it used to be 16 games, eight home, eight road. But now with 17, there's an uneven number, and so the AFC and NFC take turns having that extra playoff game and that or, or that extra regular season game, and then you play a team in the other conference in that game. So the NFC gets that home playoff game. So the good news is the Vikings are in the NFC. There's a ninth home game in 2024. The mixed news, though, is the Vikings are scheduled to play a game in London, and it's a home game in London. So the Vikings actually lose that extra home game um, to the international series, and they will play in London. Now, we don't know who they will play. We know uh, probably a good two or three likely options of who, who it will be. So uh, the other factors in this formula to consider, the Vikings finished in third place in the NFC North, which means they will also play the third-place finishers in the NFC East uh, and the NFC South for the rotation. So the Vikings will play the Giants, who finished third in the East, and the Falcons, who finished third in the South. The Vikings in the rotation also play the NFC West and the AFC South this year. So all things being uh, told, the home games for the Vikings in 2024, Chicago, Detroit, Green Bay, Arizona, San Francisco, Houston, Indy, Atlanta, and the New York Jets. Road games in 2024, Chicago, Detroit, Green Bay, the Los Angeles Rams, Seattle Seahawks, Jacksonville Jaguars, Tennessee Titans, and the New York Giants. That is seven games against five different playoff teams, three games against teams with new head coaches, 
Atlanta, Seattle, and Tennessee. And then I have another one that I want to get to as well as we look at the quarterbacks that the Vikings are slated to play in 2024. But that's the breakdown of the home and away opponents. We'll dig into it here, Giles. But first, your uh, initial thoughts on that slate of opponents in 2024. I think it's time to book our tickets to L.A. to go to the Rams game. We got to go check out SoFi okay. Stadium. I think uh, let's put it in uh, rubber stamped here. So uh, 100% excited for that game. But ultimately, uh, it is kind of an interesting schedule, both home and away, uh, like usual. But I do think this is going to be a relatively difficult schedule. I think some people may okay. look at this at a, per- a first pass and say, no, there's a lot of beatable teams. And although that might be true in some veins, there are a lot of good teams on this schedule. But more importantly, I think there's a lot more emerging talent uh, in this schedule. I mean, going into this past offseason in 2023, uh, people would have looked at the Houston Texans as a complete gimme game. And I feel like they obviously had a great season this year, although it did not end the way that Houston wanted it to. They are hitting their stride and I think give them another offseason to add more weapons to their set. And I think the Houston Texans are going to be entering a dynasty period considering what they have in CJ Stroud. So Texans obviously are going to be huge. When you look at even the Arizona Cardinals, I mean, they were potentially one of the worst teams in NFL uh, this yeah. year. Uh, one of the guys on our trip here, uh, Bryson, he's a huge Arizona Cardinals fan, and he recognizes all the deficiencies. But at the end of the day, they have the best run game in the NFL. And I do think uh, between that and Kyler Murray, I don't think it's completely outlandish for them to make a few changes in the offseason and have a good run in 2024. Um, you have obviously the 49ers, you have the Falcons, the Jets. Like Those are teams that have had pretty significant injury uh, or have had quarterback issues. And I think a lot of those things will be addressed this offseason. So uh, when you kind of uh, try to anticipate the strength of schedule, this could be a relatively difficult set of games going into 2024. Interesting way to look at it, Giles. I, I immediately looked at quarterbacks and head coaches. Yep. And did they make the playoffs or not last year? And that was really yep. sort of the – that's how I built a barometer for this. But yep. I think you, you bring an interesting – way to assess it as well when you when you take a look at the entirety of the roster and the arc that that team is on you know every team is on an arc right um and and you do look at some of these teams and and take a look and and you can't help but be semi-impressed if not fully impressed at where they're at in terms of emerging talent and roster and i'll add two more to that guys detroit and green bay yeah i mean you you would call them either in green bay's case an emerging team Yep. Detroit is probably peaking. Um, yes. <laughs> at least th- this iteration of them is peaking with, with golf. Yep. Um, so that adds to the challenge and to the difficulty, yep. uh, the degree of difficulty there. Um, so, and, and let's not forget Indy, Indianapolis in this one either, Giles. I think, yep. you know, Richardson being hurt, you can fall asleep on them a little bit maybe. Um, yep it looked like he was sort of going to have something special to him as well. And, and they're on the schedule. Yeah. Um, So what's interesting here is which teams do you think sort of the reverse of that Giles, which teams do you think are not bottoming out, but kind of bottoming out new head coach and, or new quarterbacks Um, Atlanta Falcons, Big yep. players in the Bill Belichick sweepstakes most yep. likely will have a new quarterback. Correct. Seattle Seahawks, new mm-hmm. head coach for sure, perhaps new quarterback. Yep. Uh, the New York Giants, same head coach, Brian Dayball, but maybe a new quarterback. And then yep. um, the, the Chicago Bears, 
What yeah. are they going to do? Just Justin Fields? They have two picks in the top ten. Are they going to stick with Justin Fields and build around him, or are they going to transition away from Fields? Um, yep. and, and you know, and and do something new at quarterback there. So I think I think it's interesting to look at it from the quarterback standpoint. And then lastly, Aaron Rodgers comes back to U.S. Bank Stadium, assuming that yeah. that game is at U.S. Bank Stadium and not in London. So yeah, um, kind of interesting to look at it. Like, who are you playing from a quarterback standpoint? And it's an interesting set of characters for the Vikings in 24. A hundred percent. And I think for those reasons, the two that really stand out for me are the Tennessee Titans and the New York Giants, because uh, uh, although I'm a big fan of Brian Dable, clearly there's a bit of collapse in, in that stadium over there. Uh, their quarterback, I think they made a, a pretty significant mistake in re-signing him, uh, especially for that big of money. And yep. I do think that they're going to try to uh, shave something off and, and draft somebody. But at the end of the day, he's still under contract and they have guaranteed years. So they're kind of in a precarious situation. So I do expect the New York Giants to be one of those uh, I don't want to say it a gimme game. Those don't happen in the NFL. But if you're ranking strength of schedule across all these different teams, those are the ones that I'm least scared about uh, in conjunction with the Tennessee Titans for the same reasons, because they're kind of quarterbackless right now. And they've taken two stabs in a row and yeah. seemingly for all intents and purposes now missed on both of those. And obviously fired the head coach in the process. So um, until we get a, a significant answer that they have fixed things and they're back on the rise, I think they're going to make a pretty significant step backwards because at the end of the day, I think they fired an amazing head coach. I, I, I really do. I yeah. think they clearly missed on quarterback and clearly they wanted somebody to pay. Uh, but I think he's a great quarter or a, a great coach. And I think that's going to be reflected uh, when it comes to that team because uh, the Tennessee Titans were the number one seed not that long ago. And they've always been relevant when they've had a decent somebody under center. So I do expect between the Tennessee Titans and the New York Giants to, for those to be the easiest on the schedule. Um, but other than, I mean, when you look at every home game, uh, whether it's London or not, there's a chance that all of those are very difficult games for us to, to win. I don't know. Yeah. So it's going to be a good go. Yeah, it, it is. And, and the other interesting thing about the schedule and the opponents for the upcoming year, Giles, is we can have this discussion right now because yep. we know who the opponents are. Yeah. We don't know when the Vikings will play the, those opponents. We don't know the it's order. True. We don't know which games are prime time, which games are short weeks, which games are long weeks. Are there three home games in a row or three road games in a row? You know, a certain opponent that you play at at home in the middle of a homestand might be a little bit different than you're playing them at home sandwiched between two tough road games. Yeah. So we'll have this discussion again when the NFL releases its schedule, which typically happens in, in the month of May, right around the draft. Uh, we'll, yep. we'll rehash this and we'll have a different feeling about the team at that point because we will have seen free agency and the draft. Um, we'll see who all these teams hired for coaches and staffs and we'll see the order in which the games are played and we'll have maybe a whole different feeling about the schedule at that point in time but for now these are the thoughts that we have on the viking schedule it certainly does not look easy um, i don't know that it's the most challenging group of opponents you could have but it, it's not simple and then you have a few added wrinkles in there with a handful of them having new coaches and or new quarterbacks and then of course the international series game in there as well so We'll continue that this discussion uh, once this, the full schedule is released uh, in the spring. Uh, but for now, it's just sort of fun to peek ahead at uh, at what the schedule could be, and, and that's what it is for the Minnesota Vikings. Speaking of peeking ahead, though, Giles, let's um let's take a look at Jordan Addison, the Vikings' sensational rookie receiver, and peek ahead um, to what we think he could be for the Minnesota Vikings using what just happened in the past calendar year. Uh, to inform those projections. So 
taking a look at, at Jordan Addison, Giles, I, I know it's a player that surface level, first pass, as you term it, hard not to be excited about this guy. Um, you know, with the way he was able to help the Vikings offense in 2023 and with the opportunity that he'll be afforded in 2024, it it certainly is a draft pick that you would say they hit on, um, you know, as far as you can hit on a, a draft pick in his first year. Uh, taking number 23 overall in the 2023 NFL draft out of USC, also played at Pittsburgh, University of Pittsburgh. It looked and sounded to me, Giles, like Kevin O'Connell was a big Jordan Addison guy. Yeah, I know that you and I both saw the video that the Vikings and the NFL put out when he was drafted, and if swag read, in the room. <laughs> yep, if you if you read between the lines and and notice some, you know, some details and some nuance, you can you can sort of tell when when if teams are truly excited about what happened and who in the room is particularly excited. Yep. And I definitely got a sense that the Vikings and particularly Kevin O'Connell. They were yep. excited when they were able to draft Jordan Addison. And I believe that you got that same sense because we, we both saw that same video. Yeah, 100%. I think uh, uh, everyone on the offensive side of the ball was uh, pounding the table for him entering draft night. And so when the fact that we were able to actually grab him at, uh, at the pick that we did was just phenomenal. Now, I yeah. do think, you know, uh, reading points of contention that may or may not be there. So stop me if I'm if I'm misreading this. But I think Quizzy is an analytical guy. He comes from Wall Street, is definitely big on the negotiation side of the fence. Uh, you know, in, in negotiations, there's, there's a lot of points of leverage. And I think... Uh, Judging from the past draft, he has proven that he's willing to move up, down. He's he's willing to to try to accrue value uh, in places that it may not have been there originally. And I think there's a chance that maybe it may have been on the table uh, that night. And I think Kevin O'Connell said, "Let's not get pretty here. Let's get talent, right?" Because I think. They potentially learned their lesson from the previous draft where they got a little pretty. They got, they accrued some picks and those picks did not turn into necessarily what they had hoped for, both with the pick that they traded down to and the pick they acquired, uh, between Ed Ingram and, uh, and Lewis Seen. So, uh, ultimately, I'm really excited that Kevin O'Connell's influence, uh, played out there because at the end of the day, when you're building a team, uh, around your schematics, you want your, head coach to be fully bought in with who you're bought or who you're getting. You don't want to just like, Oh, I guess I'm okay with him. You want someone that you're pounding for the table. Uh, so you can truly, yeah. truly run with it. Now, when it comes to Jordan Addison, I think this is the prime candidate to take a massive step forward in their second year. Because when you look at, uh, uh, Jordan Addison, he is one of the smallest receivers you'll see. Like even when you go on training camp and see him on in the field, he's a tiny dude. He is a yeah. small guy. He has a, yeah, exactly. And when you look at the the stats, which we'll get here in a second, um, he's great at some things and others he's a little bit more deficient in when uh, it comes to things like run blocking. And when you're trying to be a, a fully versatile wide receiver that you can really uh, build a dynamic offense around, you need to be able to do all those things. When you look at the Rams and you look at Cooper Cup or Puka, uh, Puka Nakua, all those guys are phenomenal at those, those other dirty work things. And that's something that Jordan Addison lacks. And the reason why I bring up in the second year uh, that he'll take a step forward is that he'll get a full offseason of NFL conditioning. And I think bulking up and preparing for those things, I mean, you get a little bit when you're drafted, but I think this full offseason will do wonders for him uh, and his performance that we put on the field in 2024. Yeah, interesting viewpoint on that, Giles. Um, you don't want... 
you know, there are certain players on a team where when they're in the game, it's a tell as to what the team is going to do, right? And yep. we've had receivers in the past. I remember when I was with the Vikings and it was like, if that guy's in the game, if that receiver's in the game, it's probably a run. Yep. You know, and, and so you don't want Jordan Addison to be the guy where it's like, if he's in the game, they're probably passing the ball. Like yep. you want him to like, you don't want to have that tell. And you're right that a full off season of conditioning and strength work is going to help him um, stay away from being that kind of a player. I, I think yep. he's definitely going to be able to avoid that. I, I think he's going to be a three down receiver for the Vikings, just like George, uh, Justin Jefferson is. Um, yep. So it, I think it's interesting when, you know, before we get into the numbers and the stats, it's interesting to me that the way that draft went, if you remember, the Vikings got Addison at number 23. Mm-hmm. So at 20, the Seahawks took a receiver, Jackson Smith and Jigba. Yep. At 21, the Chargers took a receiver at Quinton Johnson. At 22, the Ravens took a receiver with Zay Flowers. So it's interesting that we both have the viewpoint the observation that Kevin O'Connell was really excited to get Jordan Addison because he was the fourth one of that group to go. Yep. And so anyone who's ever either been a GM and in charge of a draft, which I don't know if anyone listening to this podcast has been in that spot, but if you've been, if you've played fantasy football, you know (laughs) what it's like to have three players in a position go right in front of you. What are the chances that you still wind up with a guy you wanted after that happens? And I think that happened for the Vikings. The only thing I I also wonder about is if you look at what happened after the Vikings took Addison, it was Mingo, the receiver that Cleveland took, Jaden Reed, who Green Bay took, and Rasheed Rice, who Kansas City took. Now, Mingo, I'm you know indifferent on, but um, Reed and Rice were both turned out to be really good players as well. Um, yep. So you look at Jackson Smith and, and Jigba, Zay Flowers. I'll pass on Quentin Johnson for now. So Smith and Jigba, Zay Flowers, Jaden Reed, Rasheed Rice, and Jordan Addison. What a rookie yep. class of receivers there, Giles. My goodness, it's a Hall of Fame class in my opinion. I mean, that's yeah. the one that yeah. you'll you'll look back for decades. Yeah. Um, all right. So the idea with Thielen, with Thielen not coming back, uh, was yeah. the Vikings needed someone to fill his shoes. They they obviously pointed at Jordan Addison, got their guy. He winds up actually serving in Jefferson's stead for a significant amount of time because Jefferson had that hamstring injury. So he wasn't just a complimentary piece all season. Yep. He had to sh- sort of shoulder the load from a wide receiver standpoint. Obviously, Hawkinson uh, helped with the production from a pass catching standpoint. But in that wide receiver room, Jefferson was the guy, you know, for six or seven weeks. Um, all told, Giles. 70 catches, 911 yards, 10 touchdowns. Second on the team in receptions and targets behind Hawkinson. Third on the team in yards behind Jefferson and Hawkinson. And first in the team with 10 receiving touchdowns, uh, beating everyone else by five. Um, Among rookies, he was third in receiving yards, sixth in receptions, fourth in targets, and uh, first in touchdowns. So all all told... A very, very good start for um, Jordan Addison as a rookie. Yep, 100%. And I think that's even more impressive when you provide the context that uh, not only did Jordan Addison have to endure the the 
the injury of his starting quarterback and having to adjust schematics to, to adjust for a new wide or a new quarterback. Uh, but also uh, when you have Justin Jefferson going down, he had to play different roles. So I'm really excited to see going into 2024, if Kirk comes back, which is a big if, and we'll discuss that later, but if Kirk comes back and you have JJ healthy for a full year, what is Jordan Addison's true performance when he's able to be that dual threat on the other side uh, and actually yeah. have a predictable pass or passer throwing him the ball? Uh, because when, Put in specific scenarios, he did fall so well. I mean, like you mentioned, even outside of uh, the rookies in the 2023 season, across all wide receivers, he was fourth in touchdowns. Fourth in touchdowns, yeah. like just phenomenal. Yeah. And when you look at receiving yards, he was 29th out of, I believe, 105 qualified receivers, uh, 29th in receptions. Uh, but the part that's really interesting to me that really emphasizes both the things that we need to lean into and maybe the things that we need to fix is his his distinction in performance based on zone coverage versus man coverage. Have you looked into this? It's no, kind of an no. interesting layout. So when you look at uh, Jordan Addison in 2023, when you look at zone coverage, he had 2.5 yards after catch on average, okay? Uh, perception, to be very clear. And that ranks 82nd out of 93 qualified receivers. He was horrible at yards after catch when it came to uh, zone coverage. Now, when you contrast that with man coverage, you instantly shoot up into the best receivers in the game with 7.7 yards per catch or uh, yards after catch. So ultimately when he's man on man, this guy can fly. So mm -hmm. especially when you look into the 2024 season, if Justin Jefferson is truly the receiver that will draw most of the coverage, you're going to put Jordan Addison into a lot of man coverage, right? Uh, uh, where I think you're going to get one-on-ones that he can go exploit. So having both of those guys in the field, I think clearly emphasizes why, Kevin O'Connell really pushed the table for Jordan Addison because I think he saw that in him. Uh, so if you can really have that, I think we can exploit it. Now, when you break down um, his usage, he played significant snaps, at least percentage-wise, out wide. I think he had 670 snaps uh, out wide and then 243 of them in the slot. Um, so I would like to see those a little bit more versatile because I do think, like we talked about before, we want to make sure we're not giving tells to the opposing defense uh, on what we're going to do because at the end of the day, when we're running 12 personnel, uh, when we had Jordan Addis on the field, we were not uh, we, were, we, were, we were passing the ball. We weren't running the ball. And I think that played into our run game. Um, ultimately, I think we need to we need to step up our performance when it comes to the running back room, but that's a different conversation. I think we need to be able to make him a functional run blocker. So when we are running 12 or 11 or whatever we might be, we can't be uh, putting him on the field and then not running the ball. I think that is yeah. one of the biggest tells that came out of the 2023 season that needs to be addressed immediately. Interesting. Um, you're totally right about that. You do not want to get into that spot where they're like, they're probably not running it. Addison's on the field. That's terrible yeah. uh, position to be in. One thing you said that I want to go back to was the whole yeah. zone versus man production yeah. thing. Yeah. This is, that's a great example of whenever there's a change at play caller yep. or quarterback, that's an example where there is regression that most people wouldn't think of or notice. If you're, if you're just tuning in on Sundays and watching and that's it, you're not going to think about that. But if mm -hmm. you really get into the weeds with your team and figure out what makes them tick and how they're wired, like having cousins come back, having the same play caller in the building, which you're going to have with Kevin O'Connell, Yep. Is, is key because they already understand strengths and weaknesses. And 
Kirk Cousins knows that on third and seven, if his pre-snap read is man coverage, that Addison is a more viable target than if his pre-snap read is zone coverage. And of course, any quarterback worth their worth their salt is going to figure that out over time. So let's say you brought in a rookie or you brought in a different veteran, Jimmy Garoppolo, to come in here and play. Like Jimmy Garoppolo will be told that during the offseason, will be told that in training camp, and then will observe that for himself in the first week or two or three weeks of the season. But the yep. fact that it's just ingrained in Cousins' head and he doesn't even ever have to think about that is just – that's why continuity is so important for for offenses uh, and for yeah. defenses too. But that, that's yep. why it's a big deal when you have a change in quarterback or play caller. You know what I mean? Yep, 100%. It goes down to timing and getting the rhythm uh, between the passer and the catcher, 100%. I think that's even reflected uh, when you look at the receiving depths uh, for the 2023 season for Jordan Addison. When you look at mm-hmm. kind of the, the four primary categories of receiving depths, you have deep passes, which are 20 yards or more. You have medium passes, which are about 10 to 19 yards. You have short passes that are essentially zero to nine yards. And then you have stuff that are behind the line of scrimmage, right? And when you look at Jordan Addison's elite performance, it's specifically in the deep and medium category. So anywhere from 10 on, uh, he is in the high nineties for receiving grades, just phenomenal when it comes to those. However, when you get into the short game and behind the line of scrimmage, those plummet into a much lower category. So when you think about how he's used this season, it was deep passes and that's where things go. But when, when you deal with deep passes and things that are in the intermediate, you know, length category, you got to get timing right because your offensive line needs to hold up longer and you need to make sure that, all right, where is he going to be versus where he is now? So timing is even more important when it comes to those things versus just the absolute quick game. So I am hoping that we can improve the quick game, but ultimately when you're trying to leverage his strengths, which is the the deep game, you need to be able to to build a schematic that ex- uh, emphasizes that, if that makes yep, sense. That's right. Not, not everyone can be great at everything all the time. We all know yeah. that, but you want to stay away from being bottom of the barrel at anything. And yeah. and I think that's what you're trying to you're you're trying to guard against that happening with Addison when it comes to production versus zone and when it comes to, you know, his ability to perform as a run blocker. So I think you've really identified, I mean, we're going to throw flowers at Jordan Addison here uh, all day long. He had a great rookie yeah. campaign, very excited yeah. about his future. And, yeah. and he's someone that Kevin O'Connell can can use in the scheme like he just doesn't have to be a complimentary figure like yeah whatever it's not like oh whatever jefferson and hawkinson don't get will give to addison like addison can go get his own you know and i think i think that's starting that's going to happen here for him uh but i think you've done a great job in looking at the data and watching games of identifying two areas where addison can get even better Um, and if he does that you know it obviously only helps the vikings and I know that, and we'll talk more defense in future episodes of the Wobcast uh, 2.0, but I, I know that things are looking better on defense with Brian Flores, and they're probably going to get some more talented players, whatever. But so long as it's Kevin O'Connell, Justin Jefferson, TJ Hawkinson, Jordan Addison, Kirk Cousins slash QB, as long as that's what's happening here, this is an offensive-minded team. This is a yeah. team that's got to score points, um, that's going to live and die with offense and so it makes sense to spend time in practice to spend cap resources draft picks on offense to to be great like identify what you're good at and get great at it um 
you know, and I, I think the Vikings have a chance to do that with Addison. I think uh, the sky's the limit for him, and he's definitely a player, you know, that other teams are sitting there going, dang, like that that was a good get for Minnesota, you know? Absolutely. I mean, if you were to add a premier running back in the offseason, I think we instantly shoot into the the you know the conversation for best uh offensive weapon sets in the nfl i mean obviously we took a step back running back wise this year but uh you get that back into a more prime position and i mean we're the best of the best in my opinion i mean when you have an accurate passer throwing to that you have justin jefferson tj hawkinson i mean i'm pounding the table for josh oliver as well for receiver um but ultimately when you add in jordan addison like you have elite talent in all those categories and something that can be exploited so yeah and and you know what of all the areas where the vikings really can can get better you know running back is up there i think they need mm-hmm. to get better there yeah but of all the positions where you could have to get better at that's not a bad one to know you have to get better at like you Correct. can find backs you yep. know oh i completely agree i mean look at the miami dolphins right now like ultimately they're not making it to the dance but when it came to the run game uh they had uh, uh mostert and ultimately their run game got so much better and they were doing it with subpar blocking in my opinion when you look at their offensive line they were able to kind of put that all together in kind of a last minute ditch effort and they had a great run game this year and that resulted in an even better pass game yep exactly so um all right and and you know what the the whole running back thing that's a whole episode unto itself right i mean yeah. we can we can we can dedicate a an episode or two to what the vikings should do at running back um, and, and we'll do that um, in future episodes of the Wobcast 2.0. But we wanted to spend the bulk of this one talking about Jordan Addison and, as we said, uh, shower him with praise and throw flowers at him for a great rookie campaign uh, by Jordan Addison. Very excited to see what the future has in store for him and this Vikings offense. All right, uh, before we get out of here, guys, let's talk, uh, let's talk playoffs. Um, yeah. I know you said uh, you had your eyes on the divisional round, even though you're – um out there having fun uh in mexico so four games um nothing like super shocking still good drama good games but nothing that that really surprised us um you know i thought baltimore you know we talked last week i gave houston you know a shot at winning that game Mm -hmm. and and they looked good through halftime but baltimore throttles them in the second half and yeah the MVP is a regular season award, but you can't help yep. but think about it while you're watching the playoffs. And with yep. what Lamar Lamar Jackson just boom put put a stamp on it there in the second half of the divisional round. Uh, he's going to be a handful for the Chiefs uh, to figure out in the AFC Championship game. But very impressive yep. performance by Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore yep. Ravens in the second half. Very cool to see Jim Harbaugh there uh, cheering on his brother John after John yeah. came to the uh, national championship game to cheer on Jim. Uh, San Francisco then edges Green Bay in a thriller on Saturday night uh, to finish the Saturday of playoff action. A crucial mistake by Jordan Love late in the game. Mars, what was a very exciting game and a very good finish for the Packers this season. Uh, So those two games, uh, Giles, anything that stands out to you in, in those two finishes? Yeah, I know. It was really exciting because down here in Cabo, they have sports screens everywhere, absolutely everywhere. So I saw every one of the games. It was great to watch it with all the coworkers. And we have a lot of Packers fans. So unfortunately, we had a, a lot of people hanging their head low for a bit. Um, but ultimately, love to watch football. And I, uh, I will say, I was kind of rooting for the Packers. Uh, one, because I like... 
I love seeing an underdog story, but also if we're being completely honest as a Minnesota Vikings fan, I am rooting for our division to go as far as possible because that means they get lower draft position. <laughs> um, if we're just being completely honest here. So ultimately I'm hoping for the Detroit Lions to make it to the dance uh, and, and ultimately win the whole thing because then they get 32 versus something else. But uh, at the end of the day, they're really fun games to watch. When you think about the Chiefs-Bills game, uh, I honestly thought the Bills were going to win. I actually, we had some some wagers going on here down in Cabo, and I expected the Bills to win because, one, I think the Bills, up until last night, uh, were playing their best football. Uh, they were really peaking late, which is what you want to do as an NFL team, and I thought the Chiefs weren't, if we're being explicitly honest. And when you look at the Bills' secondary, I expected it to be a close game. I expected it to be a high-scoring game. But ultimately, I thought like, oh, the the Chiefs are going to get aggressive late in the game, maybe throw a pick, and then the Bills will take it away. And it was close. And ultimately, Mr. Tyler Bass uh, bastardized the entire city of Buffalo. Unfortunately, I think he's getting he's going to be hated for a little bit. That was uh, a bad shank. So uh, I was in a, a sports place with a bunch of Bills fans, and they were they were quite distraught for quite a while. So so unfortunate to see. I thought Jim Nance had a great call of that. I don't know if you could hear audio of the game, but Jim Nance I didn't. said he said something to the effect of "wide right." Those two words come back to bite Buffalo again. Um, you know, referring to yeah, right. Um, yeah. So I thought that was a great call by Jim Nance. Um, Bad weekend for kickers in general. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, I look at that. It, it was very cool to see that game, Giles, Chiefs-Bills, unfold that way, though, because so often in life, great anticipation happens, and then it doesn't live up to the anticipation. But that game yeah. totally lived up to what we all hoped it would be. It was yeah. the last playoff game of Divisional Round Weekend. Can't wait to sit down and watch this game. A lot of people probably had plans and were busy over the course of a weekend, and but you know yeah. that that late game on Sunday, you're going to get to sit in front of the TV and watch it. And you hope it's a good one. And it's Allen and Mahomes and the royalty of the chiefs and the AFC over the last, you know, eight years against an upstart bills team that came from no, out of nowhere this year. I mean, it just totally lived up to the hype. It was a great game to watch. Yeah. There were some mistakes. Diggs dropped a deep pass and um, obviously the missed field goal. And I thought there was some, um, some other things there that some other, Miss misdeeds that were mistakes, but it was still a well played game and the drama was high. Um, yeah, you had Jason Kelsey hanging out of a suite with a shirt off, pounding beers. Yeah. I mean, it was, like, <laughs> it was awesome, man. It was football yeah. nirvana, right? So, very exactly, cool game to watch. Um, I thought that Lions Tampa game, man, I thought Tampa screwed up some game management things. Oh and, my gosh, I'm glad you brought that up. Seriously, yeah, I, I just you know, not calling timeouts at the end of the game. I thought they should have called a timeout before the two-minute warning. Agreed. There was a fourth and one that they didn't go for it, where I thought they should have went for it. They tried a really yep. long field goal instead of trying a fourth and five. I just thought there were some things there that they really kind of screwed up. I do like that they went for down 14, score a touchdown to go down eight. I love going yep. for two there. I, yeah. You know, Agreed. I think the math works out in your favor there. So they got that right, but there were some other game management things that just weren't very good. But really the the Lions run continues. Um let's transition into predictions here and start with Detroit San Francisco, which is actually the last game on Sunday. Uh the AFC game is first at two o'clock central. Um yep. the NFC championship game is at five five or five thirty central. It's mm -hmm. Detroit at San Francisco. San Francisco is a six and a half point favorite. I'll just cut yep. to the chase. 
Uh, I think Detroit's going to win. I think Detroit's I do too. Win. You do too. Yeah, yeah I, I do too. I, and it's not about a matchup. It's not about Debo being hurt. It's not about is Brock Purdy good or not. It's not about any of that. It's just about peaking at the right time. What's the aura? What's the momentum? Who's it? It feels like you know it's Detroit's year. And yeah. And then when I look at it from a schematic or an actual matchup standpoint. If San Francisco had a hard time with Green Bay, they're really going to have a hard time with Detroit because Detroit is better than Green Bay clearly right now. Yep. By a wide margin, I completely agree. When you look at their lines, I think there's going to be a clear struggle bus. Now, I think the 49ers have a pretty elite defensive line. They're good at getting pressure, but the Detroit Lions have the best offensive line in football. I mean, Mr. Decker, Decker reported, uh, and uh, Frank Ragnow. I mean, those guys are the meanest guys in the NFL. Those guys are are uh, big, hairy men that protect the quarterback, and I think yep. uh, that's going to be a tough thing for the 49ers to consistently get across, uh, and it, it's reflected in their run and their pass. I mean, they have weapons at every position. Now, up until maybe a few weeks ago, I thought the only deficiency for the Lions was simply their secondary. And I feel like they're starting to get better in that category. You know, there's injuries that have kind of gone away now. So I think they're hitting their stride. They're getting healthy all at the right time. Like this is their year, right? Now, just as a football fan, let's go for it. As a Vikings fan, you never like to see your rival, uh, you know, make it to the dance, but like, go for it. They've, they've had 50 years of drought. Might as well dip in for a little bit. Yep. Yep. The AFC game, Kansas City at Baltimore. Um, I, I believe it's six straight AFC championship game appearances for Kansas City. Unbelievable. Yep. Um, it's a big deal. Yeah. It's a special core, uh, quarterback matchup, again, mm-hmm. with Mahomes, yep. who's sort of been the standard for the last decade against Lamar, who's going to be the MVP this year and is sort of kind of feels like this is his turn. Um, I think it's cool that the Harbaugh's are looking to do something special again, you know, both potentially winning titles. Um, but to me, Baltimore has a little bit of team of destiny to them. It's, it's got that team of destiny feel right now. And I give the edge to Baltimore here. Um, I think both teams have a good defense. Kansas, this is the best defense Kansas city has had under the Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reed, uh, era. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Number one, Spagnola is doing a great job. So I think yeah. defensively it's, it's about even, um, I, I get, you know, I think Baltimore's got a great defense as well. On offense, I think peak Chiefs offense is a good matchup with Baltimore's offense right now. The problem is we don't see peak Chiefs offense much right now. It's no, it's just doesn't quite seem like itself, and that's gonna probably hinder them quite a bit on Sunday. So I give the edge here to Baltimore. I expect to see Baltimore win this game at home and then go and play Detroit in the Super Bowl. What do you think? Um, I completely agree. I think the Ravens wins hands down. I think they are maybe the best team left standing right now uh, across all four teams. If we're sharing a prediction here, uh, I do think the Lions are going to make it to the dance. Uh, so I do predict a Ravens Lions Super Bowl here. Um, I think I predicted a while back. You might remember I was picking Ravens 49ers. Um, but now looking at that matchup, I'm going to revise. Uh, I think it's going to be Ravens Lions. Now, what happens when those two make it to the dance? Who wins? That's going to be a tough matchup because both of them are stout. They're all playing their best ball at the right time. Um, I think if you're looking at competitive edges, I think the Ravens have a, a maybe a, a more superior advantage considering they have John Harbaugh um, and uh, Dan Campbell doesn't have significant experience late in playoffs. I think, you know, that's not necessarily a reason they'll lose, but I think, you know, that could be exploited potentially by Harbaugh. I think when I look at, 
uh, coaches in the NFL, if they are able to kind of, uh, say in, uh, in maybe similar footing through the first half, I think John is the best coach in the NFL at adaptation when it comes to second half adjustments. And I think that is an area where Dan Campbell is not great at it. And I think that's where it's going to give the Ravens the competitive advantage. Interesting. I think if I looked at that matchup, what I would, the reason I would slide toward Baltimore and feel pretty good about it is I think that the way Detroit's defense plays, it it basically asks Detroit's offense to not be perfect, but it asks Detroit's offense to, I mean, Detroit scored three touchdowns in its last three meaningful possessions last night. Um, yep. And if they didn't do that, they might've lost the game. And you can get by doing that for a little while, but if they get by San Francisco doing that, I don't think they can get by Baltimore that way. Baltimore is just too good on offense, and you, they've got that X factor of Lamar and uh, being able to run and run or pass that dual threat. And so I think it'd be too much for Detroit to handle in the Super Bowl. Um, and I would probably end up picking Baltimore, but uh, we'll cross that bridge when we get there, right? You, you never know how you're going to feel about a game until you're at that game. I, I never would have imagined I would have taken Detroit to beat San Francisco in San Francisco in an NFC title game, but I am doing that. So, yep. you know, we got to wait and see how the games unfold before we make a prediction. Either way, you look at the four teams left, we're going to have a, a damn good Super Bowl, which is awesome. You know, we're not going to have I'm any flukes in there. Um, we all love a Cinderella story, but there are no Cinderella stories here. There are no flukes here. These are four very good teams uh, who deserve to be there, and I cannot wait for Championship Sunday. And Las Vegas come Super Bowl time is going to be absolutely yeah. lit. I was just there. They were setting up all the signage and stuff. It's going to be a good time. Yeah, absolutely will be. Uh, it was a good time talking football today, guys. Uh, seriously appreciate you carving out some time for uh, for an episode here while you're down there. I know you guys are busy. You're having fun. You're 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 half working, half having fun. Whatever you're doing, it's it requires uh, time and attention and extra sleep. But you cut out some sleep and recorded with us. So thanks for doing that, man. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Time for a little morning walk on the beach with uh, maybe a little coffee, and then we're going to do some hang gliding or go do some uh, some racing with UTVs. We'll see where we go. Awesome. <laughs> Can't wait to hear more about it uh, in the next episode of the Wobcast 2.0. We'll be back next week as we look to talk more Vikings and more NFL. We'll break down what we saw on Championship Sunday, and maybe there'll be a Vikings headline or two in the news uh, that we can break down and discuss as well. Also, um, Stay tuned for some additional content uh, coming from us. We're going to try and do some daily content for you all, uh, so look for that on YouTube. That's where you can like, like, subscribe, and follow the Wobcast 2.0. We're on YouTube as well as uh, uh, Google Play, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. So lots of places to find us. We hope you do it. We appreciate you uh, being with us on this episode of the Wobcast 2.0. On behalf of Giles, this is Wobby signing off for now. Until next time, Skull Vikings.